day in America a child is bullied. As a matter of fact, hundreds of kids are bullied every day. In this first half hour tonight, we're going to be talking about the topic of being bullied and the bullies and how it happens, why it happens, and most importantly, what's the solution? I'm very excited about this topic. You're tuned in to America's Positive Radio Talk Show. David Essel in the box with you every Saturday, 6 to 9 Eastern, 3 to 6 Pacific. XM Satellite Radio 246, streaming worldwide at talkdavid.com. Of course, we're damn proud to be part of the Premier Radio Network. Broadcasting out of Studio E in Los Angeles, California, 1-800-548-8255. Were you ever bullied as a child? I mean... Seriously bullied? You know, we're ever really bullied. Mary Lynn Ross is going to be with us in a couple minutes. She's an author, uh, a, a former massive star on daytime television, ABC's General Hospital. She's been in movies. She does a lot of cool things, and she's going to be talking about this concept of bullying. But were, were, was it severe for you? Were you bullied at a very young age? Did it go on for years? Was it? Were you ever bullied inside your own family? As a matter of fact... I was listening to this special a couple weeks ago, and uh, then this quote-unquote expert in the world of bullying was saying that sometimes the bullying that happens within siblings can be worse long-term than that which happens from the neighborhood or the school. Isn't that fascinating? But have you ever experienced it, like, at the depth where that you can think about it today and it still bothers you? 1-800-548-8255. Many Many people are extremely bothered by bullying, and we know about the suicides every year. Marilyn Ross is the author of eight books, including the one we're going to be talking about tonight, The Bully Solution, Peace Smarts for Youth and Parents, um, a former star ABC General Hospital, child advocate who's been honored by both President Clinton and George Bush. Mary Lynn, welcome to the show. Well, hello, David. I'm so glad you're here doing this great work. Well, thank you. Thank you. Now, how did you get involved with bullying? Were you bullied as a child? Well, my first recall was uh, I used to have banana curls, you know, those little Shirley Temple-looking curls. Yes. coming home from school every day, I'd have to run fast before a kid cut off a curl. Well, by about two weeks in, I, I was getting pretty bald-looking, and my mother went to school to find out what was happening. Now, that wasn't severe as what we're seeing today, but it gave you a taste of, of what kids will do. They start out with how you look physically and maybe right. attack that, or if you have any impediment whatsoever, or there's, there's a numerous list which show that 166,000 kids a day fake stomach aches and all kinds of things, headaches, to stay home from school because they've been bullied. Wow. One of them. And uh, there's ways to start spotting that when they don't tell you the truth because they're embarrassed, because they don't feel they have a safety net. And that starts at home, and we're bringing it into the schools today. What, 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 how did you get involved at such a deep level to become a child advocate, to write a book on bullying? I mean, was there, did you meet someone, Mary Lynn? Did you, did you experience something other than your own bullying that said, I've got to take a stand and, and be a voice for these kids and families? What, what was it that did this for you? There 
there was a day in my son's third grade class. Now he was sort of diminutive. He didn't grow to a six foot till he was in, you know, eighteen. But it, this isn't what it was about. I came to pick him up. Uh, I got there a little early, and I noticed in a little grassy area outside their schoolroom, there was a little girl there, actually chewing on the tree of a of, of, of bark of a tree. And when I looked at her, I. I, she was listless. I picked her up. I carried her into the principal's office, and I said, my gosh, you know, we have to do something. What happened to this child? And the answer that came back was, ah, she probably missed her meds. And I said, what? What meds? Who's taking care of this child? And that moment was a demarcation. I tell you, I stepped off my soap opera box onto a soapbox. Because yeah. I couldn't sleep at night. I wanted an answer. What is going on in these classrooms? And from that, it was almost like that. You wouldn't call it bullying. You would call it uh, child abuse, actually yes. allowing a child to do that. And that was happening right in the school. So, And that was, you know, a private school, needless to say. I hate to say this, but they're no better. It's happening yes. everywhere. It doesn't only have to be at risk inner-city kids, which suffer much brutality uh, in, in many ways because they don't have the parents or the safety net right there at home. A lot of their parents are, um, you know, they, a mother has eight kids they, uh, from baby daddies who are probably in prison or uh, doing drugs. That's a whole population. But as we move through the spectrum, it's happening all over. It's across economic and social barriers actually why does bullying happen is is there is there one or two main reasons why a child will choose to abuse another child well let's take a look that we live in a bully nation if a kid is watching television they're going to see from the top down all this ingrained disrespectful fighting it starts at the presidential level they turn on the news, they see this, or if they're surfing TV, which we try to say, keep your kids off television until they're a certain age. If you can, just really watch it, because they see by the time they are in elementary school, they have viewed millions of violent acts, starting right. off from cartoons. And there was a cartoon, for instance, that was being shown in Japan, and the cuts, we know, I'm a filmmaker, okay, and I know... That today, we, uh, we see when we're watching a film, and this is with kids, they're seeing quicker cuts than we've ever seen before. And they're getting faster and faster. And the attention span of the kids is uh, diametrically getting uh, less time, less, less attention, less attention span. But the right. unfortunate thing that happened in, this, um, in, in Japan was the cuts were so fast they started happy, having epileptic seizures. The kids watching it and some of the parents, and they were, uh, they, they were like um, the kids would stare straight ahead. It was a certain type of seizure, which is uh, a, a small uh, seizure. There's a name for it. I, it slips my mind. But right. imagine that we're, we're doing cuts that are taking kids almost to that level. How do we know where the fine line is between what the brain would go into seizure about? This is abuse. What are we doing? I mean, I ask the questions because they yeah. go across the board. 
Do you think that, do you think that, I mean, these type of things, the violence that's on TV now that wasn't on a long time ago, the amount of violence, the amount of shows, the amount of violent games, right? Oh my God. The violence in the games that kids play. Is all of this, is media a major player as to the increase in bullying? Can we, can, or, or is that a, a scapegoat? Both. Let's, let's use the number one word. It's greed. Okay? Hmm. If you know you're going to make money making the most amped up, violent, horrific kind of thing that a kid will play, and you know one of the scariest pieces of this where um, suicide, you can start seeing correlations to things uh, as you look at some of the research that's done. When a kid is playing a game, they're going, you're dead, I'm dead, they're shooting guns, they're pointing a gun at their own head. You know, who's to Mm -hmm. say, and I know that you do, healing work. You're doing energetic work. Sure. These kids are being imprinted. Yes. Yes. Yeah, and that imprint, it's interesting, that imprint from television from the games that they play be, continues to get deeper and darker and deeper and darker, which is why we're having so much more abuse of alcohol and drugs at the younger age as well. Mary Lynn Ross is with us, uh, author of eight books, including The Bully Solution, Peace Smarts for Youth and Parents, the uh, website, bullysolution.org, bullysolution.org. More with Mary Lynn when she comes back. I want to find out what do we do to help these kids heal? How do we build their self-esteem? What do we do with the bullies? Lock them up? You're listening to David Essel Live. TalkDavid.com for more information. Back in a moment. Stay there. Almost 200,000 children. Mary Lynn Ross is my guest, author of the book, The Bully Solution, Peace Smarts for Youth and Parents. Almost 200,000 kids a day fake an illness so they don't have to go to school because of bullying. A very horrendous statistic. David Essel in the box here, 1-800-548-8255. 1-800-548-8255. Mary Lynn, what what is that? Let's let's take a child that's been bullied on a regular basis. How is it that we help them to heal? Let's start with the child. What are the steps to take to help the child to heal, to get them back into school? How do do we teach these kids how to deal with the bullies? Well, you know, it's a three-prong concept because there is the victim, there is the bully, and there's the onlooker. And we have a program called Peace Smarts, and it was created back in 1995. Over 2 million children, parents, and educators have gone through our program. And it, the, our answer to bullying is creating peacemakers. And it's a, not a totally unique idea, but it was at the time when we started it. And we worked with the Chicago Police Department to create this with top educators writing a curriculum. That what happens is that when we bring the Peace Marts into a classroom, there's a commitment for that whole semester by the teacher and by the students 
who then start writing up Socratically by we ask questions how they would like to see a good classroom being run. We also teach them that it starts within and that peace starts within. When you have a very troubled child, in answer to your question, who's been probably bullied at home because that's the modeling that they get. And by the time they get to school, often they're not victims. Often they become the bullies because yes. it is what they have been modeled and what's been perpetrated on them. So we're not looking at the bully is the bad, horrible kid. That's a kid that's suffering, too. And some of them come from very wealthy homes. So let's talk about that. They have absentee parents sometimes. They're traveling. They're, their nannies are raising them. The kids have no respect. For uh, today, we have a, another pandemic that kids don't respect authority the way right. they did at one time. They don't respect their parents either. And they, we may have thought we were smarter, but we weren't going to tell them that. These kids berate parents, and they get by with it. And it's, it's really what is happening. If you take a look, once again, I'm going to go back to the media because it's an easy way not to just take a shot at it, but to say this is a cultural problem. We're seeing families on television on these reality shows. If your kid watches one of them, what are they going to pick up? What, are, what, what do they think ethics are and morals? So we bring that into the classroom. Well, Mary Lynn, you know, let let, let me make a comment here. I I really think for all ages, I honestly believe that the reality shows, the housewife shows, all of that is such a bunch of crap. Um, I even think the dating, the bachelor, the bachelorette, I really have an issue with all those shows. They, you know, they, they, they promote gossip and slander and vendettas. It's all a bunch of crap, in my opinion, Mary Lynn. Amen. (laughs) <laughs> and for a woman and for a woman in the industry for for you to agree with that is quite profound that says a lot about who you are well i had to make atonements didn't i here i yes am. i mean i i made one of the most nihilistic films as an executive producer which is a hit of the can film festival toured uh, it was a, a major success called class in 1984 it showed youth going through metal detectors before they ever did. Wow. And it was prophetically unfortunate because, therefore, shortly afterwards, Columbine happened. And oh. These kids that we depicted, what enraged people for us to have a platform across the world to discuss it, was these were not inner-city kids. They were middle-class kids. And they were doing everything that we showed in this film. And uh, so my atonement, as I say, is yeah. I, I started seeing this nerve that was pushed back then. And even then, something started churning for me to do something about this potential disaster. Hey, Mary Lynn, but like, like if you have a kid that's bullying others, is, 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 do we not discipline them? Do we not? I mean, I know they're hurting. I totally get that. But we pull them aside, and the responsibility of the of the home, hopefully, the responsibility of the school. Uh, do we not discipline the bully at all? Of course, of course. And how do we discipline? How do we discipline them? By teaching them, there goes I. 
by starting to work with a child to to we role play we get them to put the shoe on of the other foot we get them to understand their own uniqueness their greatness and and how others are different but so they start getting uh, an appreciation of diversity so that they're not so willing to say snide things now there are some people in your you work with them who are desensitized. And yes. that is part of this problem that they're coming forward desensitized. Our job is, is parents, is, and I don't know how much of the school is responsible, but the parents, if they're absentee, the school is the only refuge these kids have. So yeah. excuse me, we teach conflict resolution. We teach how mm. to communicate. Mm how to be Mm. human, how to solve a problem. We teach right brain, left brain problem solving. It's on a quantum level where we did something that was unheard of because meditation or whatever sometimes is construed as having religious overtones. And luckily, a law just passed, say, in San Diego where the judge says, I'm sorry, it isn't. This is a physical exercise. It may have been... Right, right, yep. But what we did, and we still do, we have something called incubation in our problem solving. The kids take an issue, and it's across curriculum. It could be ecological or it could be personal. It could be uh, they want to help the wetlands or they want to end bullying or they want to do whatever. They get this problem, and they go through our seven-step, what we call morph process. And by the way, we coined that term morph back in the day. No one knew what it was is a psychological term, and I'm grateful it's now in the vernacular because our morph process is this problem-solving technique. And they take this issue, and there is a place built into the right brain, left brain balancing where they drop into something called incubation. And that incubation is the work I know you do. I know yes, exactly. People there, they're in the zone. They're in the infinite intelligence field. I have great stories about what these kids have accessed, inner city kids who knew nothing about uh, the U.N. and how they decided to reinvent it. They felt that there was too many wars in the world. They wanted peace. You know what they did? What's that? <laughs> they decided they were gonna, they were going to have... Um, they were going to wear masks over their eyes. They were going to have um, earphones that where they could not determine who was speaking, what country. Each one of them represented a country in the classroom. And what was so amazing was that a leader surfaced because there was a stronger kid in the class who sort of, and they had to decide, do we go with them? Or don't we go with them? They started understanding the tenets of government, of different ways of approaching, whether it's, are they going to have anarchy now? Is this going to be a democracy? Is this going to be imperialism? Marilyn, Marilyn, you know, Marilyn Ross, we've got to run the name of the book, The Bully Solution, the bullysolution.org. Marilyn, thank you so freaking much. This topic, we've got to have you back on, honey. We've got to run. TalkDavid.com. Stay there. This is the moment. Tonight is the night. We'll fight till it's over. So we put our hands up like the ceiling can't hold us. Like the ceiling can't hold us. Can we go back? This is the moment. 
Don't fight till it's over, gang. Whatever that goal is that you have, we have to grab that goal and fight until we get it. That's just life. You're tuned in to America's Positive Radio Talk Show. David Essel alive. David Essel in the box. 1-800-548-8255. Until we get, before we go to our next author, let's go. We're going to stay on the topic of bullying. Lad in Idaho. Lad, you're on with David Essel. Go for it. Oh, how you doing? Good. What, what's like your I thoughts on this before, topic? I was telling the lady, um, in 1956, my parents bought a little farm on Fort Hall Indian Reservation. So when I was six years old, I started going to Indian school. And I went there until I was through the sixth grade. So I went there for six years. Um, during that time, the class I was in, there was usually like 30 students, 30 to 35 students. And, and at no time probably was there more than four or five white kids and usually like one or two white boys. And I was having to be a boy. But... Uh, I was constantly, from probably the second grade to the sixth grade, just terrified to go to school because I was beat up every day. I mean, it was just, they pushed me against the wall and hit me in the face. I've got two chipped teeth on the bottom, the bottom of my uh, teeth that are chipped. And mm. there was really nothing I could do about it. I, as an example, I would go to the principal. I, a few times I went to the principal, and there was one kid there that used to just hold me up and pound me against the wall and hit me in the stomach and hit me in the face, and I'd turn him in, and he'd just do it worse. I mean, right. as soon as the principal would call him in and talk to him, and then when he came back out of the recess, or something, he'd get me and pound me some more. So I gave up on, on telling anybody about it. And then in the seventh grade, I went to, to Blackfoot uh, Junior High, which was uh, uh, out of town. That's where a lot of the Indians for the reservation went at that time also. But Hey, Lad, let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. But, but hey, my point did, is, is that... Uh, Everybody, Lad, let me let me wait before you give me your point. Let me ask you a question: Has has that experience carried through your adult life? Uh, you know what? When I was growing up, I guess I really hated the Indians because yeah. of, of so, the way I was treated. But then, after sure. I got to a certain age, I, I got to the point where I I actually could kind of understand how they feel because I think that in America, it's not. I mean, everybody is bullied. I think the people who get bullied are the people in the minority, wherever you're at. I mean, if, if I go to a, a predominantly black neighborhood, I could be bullied there because I'm, I'm in the minority. And, sure. And I'm sure a lot of blacks feel like they're, they're bullied because they're in the minority in some places. But Absolutely. But the thing is, is that, that everybody has their reasons, I guess, for bullying someone, and, it, and it's not always necessarily because you're black or you're Indian or you're white. There can be all kinds of reasons. But the problem is, is that there's very little you can actually do about it. I, I had a I had a neighbor that uh, she her little son was getting bullied when he came from school, and since I'd been bullied, I'd given it a lot of thought about my kids, and I told her, you know what I would do is I would do this the next time they stop him after school and and, and beat him up, call the police, turn it, make a police report, and if they do it again, take him to the emergency room, have a full examination done to him, and then send them the bill and take him to small claims court if they don't pay it. Interesting. I, I, getting getting the law involved to try to break bullying. You know, I, I will say, Lad, first of all, Lad, I want to thank you for calling. We're, we're going to move on, but thank you very, very much. It was an interesting, interesting story. And, you know, what I have found in a lot of people I've talked to who have been bullied, one of the things that they carry into adulthood is prejudice. 
they carry into that that prejudiceness of uh, whoever it was that bullied them as a child, black, white, Indian, etc., that they carry deep resentments and bullying. And if you were bullied as a child and you're an adult now, probably the number one thing you could do is get work with a professional to release those resentments from what happened 10, 20, 30 years ago. It, it's a great well, actually, topic. We'll bring it up again. Well, okay, thank you, lad. We're, we, we have to run. If, uh, if Nathan could take that call down, that would be great. Um, Megan, Megan Abner is a young woman who I met years ago. She wrote a book called Up Syndrome. It's all about the attitude, redefining Down Syndrome. This is a young girl with Down Syndrome who wrote an entire book by herself, who, in my opinion, is an absolute angel. When, when, you, when you meet, if you meet, Megan, you will just be blown away at what an incredible young woman she is. She's with us on the air right now to talk about her life with Down syndrome, writing the book, and so much more. Megan, welcome to the show. Hi, David. Thank you so much for, for putting me on the show. Oh, my God, honey. It is great to have you with me. Oh, thank you. I have to ask you, you know, we were talking about the last half hour about bullying. When you were when you were younger or maybe even today, were you ever bullied or made fun of? Yes, David. I was. When I went to school, um I was teased and um I had no friends. And, um, but at least, at least that I went to school. And how did you deal with that, Megan? How did you deal with being bullied and made fun of? Well, it was tough at first, yes. Um, but I, I have to admit that it was not fun in the way how, I was treated, it, it wasn't right. No. Did, if if there was a child or a family with of a child with Down syndrome today listening to the show, Megan, how would you tell them to handle being teased or made fun of? What would you tell them to do? I would tell them that um, just keep busy and um, just just try hard and not think about it. And is that what you did? Yes. Mm. What What is your greatest joy in life? If you could think of something that you do or something that you've done, I know, I, I, if I remember correctly, you're a big music fan, right? I am, yes. <laughs> and you have a certain person that you just love to see in concert, don't you? I do, David, yes. And who is that, Megan? That would be my personal favorite, um, is the country western singer Vince Gill. Vince Gill. And you've seen Vince how many times, Megan? <laughs> I, <laughs> I've seen him about eight times. 
and <laughs> I've been backstage eight times to meet him in person. Eight times you've met him in person? Yes. <laughs> and every time, does it like, is it like the joy of your life to see him again? It would be, yes, it would be a joy. Uh, uh. And and tell me about, we have, just so you know, Megan, we have about two and a half minutes. We're going to go to a break and then come back. Um, tell me, how did this book, Up Syndrome, how did that come into your life? Did someone tell you to write a book? Did someone say it would be a great idea? Or did you come up with this on your own? No, I had came up with this on my own. My Uncle Rick had um, these two notes that I've written a long time ago. And um, he kept these notes and uh, in his briefcase and... He showed me them years later and told me that I have a gift to write and I wrote a book. That is so awesome. And and when you wrote the book, how long did it take you to write the entire book? It took me about four years to write. Wow! That's a long time, Megan. It is, David. <laughs> you had a lot of perseverance. You had a lot of persistence to to write that book for four years, didn't you, honey? Yes, it was time to speak up because I have a voice and that book has a big m- message. Yes, yes. Megan, I'm going to ask you to hang in there. Megan Abner author of the book, Up Syndrome. It's all about the attitude, redefining Down Syndrome. Megan's going to come back, and I'm going to tell you my personal story about Megan. When the very first time I met her, I'm going to tell you a story that is so freaking awesome, and now she's the author of a book. It took her four years to write the book. She loves Vince Gill. I think I'm also going to ask her, as a matter of fact, my partner loves Vince Gill, and I'm going to ask Megan what her favorite Vince Gill song is when we come back, along with a bunch of other questions like, why did she write the book and what does she help it's going to do for people with Down Syndrome? 1-800-548-8255. David Essel in the box. TalkDavid.com for more information on the show. After these messages, Megan Ebner coming back. We're going to rock. Stay right there. Yeah, a little Vince Gill for our author, Megan Abners, who is the author of the book, Up Syndrome. It's all about the attitude, redefining Down Syndrome. Megan is a uh, an individual with Down Syndrome who I met a number of years ago. And before we, we get Megan, of course, she's with us on the line right now, but i got to tell you my personal Megan story. A number of years ago, I had to go to her home to pick up tickets for a flight 
that her mom had, because her mom was in the airlines and I went to, to get tickets there. I was flying home to see my mom and dad and she had this ticket that I could use. So I was going to pick it up and I went and rang the doorbell and Megan answered the phone or answered the door. And I'd never met her before. And of course, I had heard about her. And I said, you know, I'm here to see your mom. She said, yes, Mr. David, please come in. She was extremely polite. And she said, I'll go to get my mom. And I know my my car was running and I was running. I don't know if I was late. I was just on time. I didn't have a lot of time. And Megan was just so polite and so sweet. And her mom comes out and I get the tickets and Megan's standing there. And I turned to her and I said, Megan, I said, you remind me of an angel. And she looked at me and she said, David, that's because I am one. <laughs> and I loved it. I said, oh my God, Megan, do you remember that story? I do. <laughs> that was so awesome. I know it was the best because you've been an angel with me too because you believed in me. Yes. Yes, you're 100% correct. When when you wrote this book, Up Syndrome, it's all about the attitude, redefining Down Syndrome as a young woman with Down Syndrome, what is your hope that the book will do for people around the country, around the world? Well, I, David, I hope that it will um, educate the, pu- the public, and um, I Definitely hope that it will change the name Down Syndrome to Up Syndrome because it's more positive that way. And it has a more positive outlook on everything. What, Megan, what is, what is the gift of having Down Syndrome? Is there a gift of having Down Syndrome or as you'd like to call it, Up Syndrome? Is there any gift there? Yes, um, there, there is, David, uh, Down syndrome is a gift from Jesus. And, um, because he has chose us to be special to him. And I am so thankful for that. Hmm. And you and you are special, and everyone with Down syndrome or Up syndrome is special. How? What? What message would you have for parents who found out that they have a young baby or a young child with Down syndrome? What What would you like them to know that might be in your book, but you could share with us on the air right now? Well, David, I would definitely share to them my mom's story from the very beginning to my book because she had talked about what she went through when I was first born. And I just think that um, that any mothers um, would feel the same way as she did. And and what did your mom feel, Megan? She felt scared 
and unsure at first, and she didn't know what it was. And because back then there was no internet, but um, the the doctor had came in and told her, but he was a physician who did not come in and explain it to her, to both of my parents, my mom and dad, and um, he did not sit down and talk to them. And when he said that I had Down, Down syndrome, then he just left. Just mm. left the room. Mm. And your mom was scared, and she might have felt alone, right? Uh, she was scared, and um, she didn't know. But what she did was that she had bought books and read about what um, the um, Down syndrome was. But that, but David, I had black eyes with my grandma, and she knew then. And yes. She came, and she came back and told m- mom, and that um, she told my grand, my late grandfather too as well. Mm-hmm. And they were there for her, so that's why she didn't feel so alone. Yeah, yeah. And and at the end of writing the book, Megan, what did you learn the most from the whole process of writing the book, Up Syndrome? Is there any one thing that you can say, this was the greatest thing that came out of writing this book, this is what I learned the most? Yes. I. Well, David, it is mostly about family and love and um, just life. Mm. And just um, emotions. Mm-hmm. Yes. And before and, uh, we run out of time, Megan, what is your favorite Vince Gill song? I want to know. My favorite Vince Gill song is I Still Believe in You. Oh, that is beautiful. That I still. Yeah, go ahead, honey. Okay, that one. Um, just um, just says something to me, and it touch and it touches my heart. And David, at least, um, I really, really love to get on the um, Ellen DeGeneres show. Oh, Ellen DeGeneres. Ellen DeGeneres would love you, Megan. I think so, too. 
Oh, I know so. I know so. You know, we have to run. Megan Abner has been my guest, author, a young woman with Down syndrome, author of the book Up Syndrome. It's all about the attitude, redefining Down syndrome. Honey, I love you so much, Megan, and I'm so glad that we had you on our show. Thank you. I just hope that um, that people would read my book. Yes, and... and- and we're going to get people out there to read it. Again, the name of it is Up Syndrome. Megan, you have a beautiful, beautiful day. And it's fascinating because the song that Megan has is her favorite. I Still Believe in You with Vince Gill is my partner's favorite song as well. So that is so rocking. 1-800-548-8255. America's positive radio talk show. David Essel Live. More information at talkdavid.com. Stay right there.